It's good to see you. Let me encourage you to take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4 if you would. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. feel a little bit like our dear brother missionary Don Curran. Uh, so I would say like he said, please pray for me in my voice today. Um, if I do have some type of voice attack or something, I'm tempted to say, Bear with me in a pause because I'm eager for us to hear uh, this message today from the Word of God. Um, so let's listen carefully to the Word. We could do that this morning. It was really good to hear you singing that. So we're open to Hebrews chapter 4. In just a second, I'm going to pray. Let me say first that what we're doing today is we're doing our Hebrew series, but our main focus is Psalm 95. Okay, we're doing our Hebrew series, main focus, Psalm 95. So let's pray. Join me in prayer. Lord, please help us now, not because of anything that we can drum up if we wanted to have a great emotional experience or if we just wanted to feel like it was a great Sunday. Lord, may it be your work through your word, by your spirit, here among your people. Help us, Lord. That today, that today we would hear your voice and not harden our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Now listen, I really, I want to keep it really simple this morning, hopefully with the Lord's help. Uh, it'll be, hopefully it'll be really clear. Only one thing that I ask of you. As we primarily look at Psalm 95, I just ask, as I often do, just put a piece of paper when we finish reading Hebrews so that we can come back to it near the end. If you would, it, That would help me a lot. But now look at Hebrews 4. Look at this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you you see that in Hebrews 4.1? Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Now just the reading of that on it, in and of itself 
should stand on its own. Notice again what he said in verse 1. While the promise of entering his rest stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And then you'll notice in what I read, which is verses 1 through 5, that he has two quotations, right? You see the indentation that he gives in the text there, the two quotes. Where's that from? Where's it from in verse 3 when he says, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Where is it from? In the Bible, in verse 5, when he says, They shall not enter my rest. It's the same place from which he's been quoting already in chapter 3. And it's Psalm 95. It's Psalm 95. Go there with me. We're doing our Hebrew series. And that today brings us to the preacher's text. Hebrews is a sermon. The book of Hebrews is a sermon And this particular part of the sermon, his text, is what we call the Old Testament, and it's Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Now, before we look at that, let me ask you to just toss a couple of very short sentences around in your mind, okay? Just let these bounce around in your mind. Here's one of them. It's, I guess it's a little bit humorous. By perseverance, the snail reach the ark. Two little statements. I want you just to think about these. That's the first one. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Here's the second one. This is from one of the great reformers of the Protestant Reformation. Calvin says this, it is better to limp in the way than to run with swiftness out of it. Listen again. It's better to limp in the way than to run with swiftness out of it. And so we want to see Psalm 95. We haven't even yet uh, begun to dive into it. But he says very clearly, he says to us today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the past. But no, hear and respond with faith. Let me ask you a super dumb question. How many of you have ever been thirsty? It's really Everybody raises their hand. How many of you have ever been parched with thirst? How many of you have ever reached the point of dehydration to where you need, maybe you reached that point and you needed some medical attention because you were medically dehydrated? Or maybe you were mildly dehydrated and you just needed to take a break and get some more water. Here's another question. Is it okay uh, if you are if you are really hungry, is it okay if you're really hungry because you've got that going on to lash out at other people because your stomach's empty? I think we all know that the answer is no. Is it okay if you're really thirsty to shake your fist in God's face or in the face of God's people? We're going to see today as we look at Psalm 95 and as we tie it into Hebrews. Remember, we're going to do that. God helping us. We're going to see some people today who are just plain old thirsty, and I guess they could have been in a Snickers commercial. Maybe they could say they were hangry, and and they were were mad. Because it's never okay, even if we're in a a place of deprivation, to sin against God. It's never okay. 
Let me just go ahead and tell you what Psalm, Psalm 95 is about. This is the first point this morning. I've got two of them, okay? I've got two of them. Listen to me. Look and listen to the Word of God today. This is so important. I've got two points, and the first of this, first is this, as it comes from Psalm 95, and it's just simply this. Do not harden your heart. This psalm says, particularly in verses 7 through 11, it says, do not harden your heart, particularly at the end. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But that's not where it begins. It begins, of all places, in verse 1. Look with me at verse 1 of Psalm 95. Now, Psalm 96 has been our memory passage as a church. But Psalm 95 begins this way. O come. This would have been just fine as a call to worship this morning at the very beginning of the service. O come, crossway. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. In the New Testament, by the way, that's Jesus Christ. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, Psalm 95, verse 3, and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Now listen to this. Look at verse 6. O come. He says again, right? O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel. He says, if you go backwards, kneel, bow down, worship. Friends, we know, right? We know that you don't have to do. True worship doesn't have to involve these these physical actions, but that doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Do you ever, do you ever, Matthew chapter 6, do you ever go into your privacy somewhere, your bedroom, and kneel beside your bed and pray to the Lord God? That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, look at it again. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture. And the sheep of his hand stop. There again, ultimately, ultimately, this points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. If God is a shepherd of his people in the Old Testament, then in John chapter 10 and beyond and other places, the Lord Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd of his people we read about in the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews, by the way, not not be confused in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. He quotes 7 through 11 of Psalm 95. Okay, Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 is a quotation, and I just want you to be looking at the psalm right now. Psalm 95, 7 through 11 is particularly what he picks up, and we're about to focus on that. But first of all, before we leave verses 1 through 6, again, what's the, what's the number one heading here? Do not harden your heart. 
But before we get to that, just notice again what he said in Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. I think I've told you before that my family growing up, our, our best friends as a family, uh, back in the day 30 years ago, I guess when there was money to be made on Christian CDs and Christian tapes, they opened a Christian music store. It was pretty large, and they called it Joyful Noise. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. It says it again in verse 2. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Notice how in verses 1 and 2 he brackets that with singing. Sing. At the end of verse 2, songs of praise. At the beginning of verse 1, sing to the Lord. You talk to Pat Kime later or others who have been to the Sing Conference. The Lord wants us to sing to him. So you notice make a joyful noise is twice. You notice that verses 1 and 2 is bracketed by singing songs of praise to the Lord. How about the, there's four times he says, let us. Notice this, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Verse 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Middle of verse 2, let us make a joyful noise. Why? Why? Verse 3, 4, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. It's been pointed out that people like us maybe with our particular doctrines that we love, that we're good, and maybe even, although I don't want to say we're excellent at it, we're good at maybe even worshiping God for his greatness and for his grace. Or you could say for his sovereignty and for his salvation. And that is what this is talking about. That is what this is talking about. It's talking about his greatness or his sovereignty and his grace or his salvation. We maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe especially we who love the doctrines of grace, maybe we're good at seeing the, hey, man, you need to see the greatness of God and the greatness of God and his grace. But this psalm is also saying, it's also saying we as the people of God who acknowledge his greatness and his grace, need to obey him. We need to obey his voice. In other words, maybe we're, we're good at one and not so good at the other. I don't know. I'm not saying we're not good at obeying his voice. I'm just saying clearly what this psalm is getting to as it moves on is it saying, do you obey the voice of the Lord? Do you hear the voice of the Lord? It's not every time that I speak, but when the word of God speaks, then God speaks. And we must hear his word, and it matters how we hear his word. Because not only, I'll say it again, not only does he say in Psalm 95, praise him for his greatness and his grace, he says, oh, be careful to actually follow him. Are you a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Verse 7b. Psalm 95, verse 7, near the end. Look at it. 
and I'm going to need to tell you a short story. It says here, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. God, you know, God loves everybody. He just loves it. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What's going on in verses 7 through 11? Let me tell you a, a quick story, and it's straight out of the Bible. And, and we all need to increase our biblical literacy in this day of, of screen, screen, screen. And it's so, you can do the Bible on a screen too. But we need increased biblical literacy. That's not everything. That won't get you to heaven. But you need knowledge of blame, which that's where I went to school. I went to Liberty, which is that's the motto, knowledge of flame. That's it, Jason. You need knowledge, and you need knowledge of flame. You need the gospel of flame. And so the story is this. If you want to know Psalm 95, if you want to know Psalm 95, then here it is. God's people, the first generation of Israel, first generation Israelites were thirsty one day. Most of you have heard this story. There they were. And God had rescued them by a mighty hand. You can read about this in Exodus chapter 17 later on. God had delivered them. These were the same people, the first generation of Israelites, who had seen with their own eyes God's mighty acts of deliverance. Listen to me. They had seen with their own eyes, oh, that's kind of like Hebrews 2, the people who had seen Jesus and the apostles. They had seen with their own eyes. They had walked through the, the, the Red Sea, and, and then they start grumbling and murmuring and complaining. Is God among us or is he not? Is God among us or is he not? That's actually high treason. And then they start murmuring against God's man, Moses. Moses, what did you bring us out here for in the desert, in the wilderness? Did you bring us out here to kill us so that our wives and so that our children will be taken as plunder? What did you bring us out here so that we would die of thirst? And they're murmuring and they're grumbling and they're complaining. And that's enough, friend, to send you to hell. That's enough because we were created by God, Psalm 95. He's our maker. We should give him thanks, but we don't. That's quite enough for you to endure the wrath of God. And they said, we're thirsty, Moses, we're thirsty. And he says, why are you bothering me? Why are you putting the Lord your God to the test? And Moses goes to the Lord and he says, he says, Lord, what am I going to do? He said, these people are ready to kill me. They are ready to stone me. And the Lord says, my translation, he said, I've, Moses, I've got this. I've got this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some of the elders of the people of Israel. I want you to go before the people of Israel, take some of the elders, and most importantly, maybe take your staff. I'm going to be there with you, Moses. I want you to strike the rock. And when you strike the rock, you know the story, right? Then water's going to gush out. And water gushed out 
Indeed, when Moses went with some of the elders of the people of Israel, Exodus chapter 17, and when he took his staff and when he struck the rock because the Lord was there and because the Lord did it all, the water gushed out and the people were able to drink. And even then, even then, it says at the end of that little episode, they spoke and said, is the Lord among us or not? What a fair weather people. Listen, the church today should should look at Israel yesterday. The church today should look at Israel yesterday and learn from her, from her mistakes, from her sin, and from her rebellion. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, by the way, says as much. The Old Testament was given to us as an example for our instruction. So when Psalm 95 talks about, look at it again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test. The words Meribah and Massa were invented, so to speak, by Moses because of the words quarreling and testing. Because the people of Israel, the first generation who had seen with their own eyes God's mighty act of deliverance, they were grumbling, they were quarreling, and they were testing the Lord. And that's what those two words mean, Meribah and Massa quarreling and testing but the story doesn't end there boys and girls you could read about this later on in numbers chapter 14 the climax the the thing that really angers the lord and he says now i will judge my people the climax of it all is when they're getting ready to enter the promised land and listen they're unfaithful and they're disobedient they're unfaithful and they're disobedient and so they will not enter the promised land And the Lord says, the only people of this generation who I'm going to allow in, this is Numbers 14, by the way, 20 through 35. Look it up later, Numbers 14, 20 through 35. The only people that I'm going to let into the land are Caleb and then the man in the Bible who has no parents. It's a joke, you've heard of this. Caleb and Joshua, the son of Nun. And he says, those are the only people in this generation. If you're over 20 years old, listen, if you're over 20, you're going to die in the wilderness There will be mass graves in the wilderness. You will not enter the physical land of promise that I have given you, that I have graciously promised to give you. If you're under 20, if you're under 20, you will get to go in. There's sweet irony. The people had said, Moses, why'd you bring us out here so that our wives and children will be plundered? And God says, no, your children will go in. You will not but even they will suffer because of your sin. It says that the children, those under the age of 20, the teenagers, the babies, they would wander for 40 years. For every day represented by the spying out of the land of Canaan, which was 40 days, there would be one year per day of wandering and of punishment. God forgave them, but he still judged them. And they wandered, and all of them, except for Caleb and Joshua and the young ones, died under the judgment of God. And as I said last week, what we're dealing with in the new covenant is not a matter of maybe or maybe not entering the physical promised land. We're dealing with entering the new heavens and the new earth. And that's why he says to us today, here at Crossway Church, he says today. Oh, this Psalm 95 through Jesus Christ is for us. And so the Lord said, look at Psalm 95, verse 10. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. 
Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Do not harden your heart. Look to the example of Israel. That's what he's doing in this psalm. He's Now get this. He's saying to them in Psalm 95, he said to them then, hey, remember your ancestors? And I'm telling you based on that, today don't you harden your hearts. And then later on in the sermon, which is called Hebrews, the author, the pastor is saying, let me use Psalm 95 as my text, and let me say to you today in the New Covenant, today, don't you do that either. Before we leave Psalm 95 and go back to Hebrews near the, near the end, let me give you this. What is the message of Psalm 95? I've given you one thing already. It's do not harden your heart. I cannot say it better than this. Listen to this. Ultimately, ultimately, the message is this. Jesus showed himself to be the obedient son of God in contrast to the disobedient sons of God. When he resisted the temptations presented to him by the devil during his 40 days and 40 nights of wilderness wandering, he specifically resisted the temptation to test God when the devil told him to throw himself down from the highest point of the temple. What is he saying there? That's Longman. He's just saying, listen to me, Matthew chapter 4. The message this morning is not, hey, you better start, stop grumbling. If you're a Christian, that is the message. But the first message and the second and the third and fourth is this, is that there are people called the sons of God, Israel, and they failed. And then there is one called the Son of God. And it's uncanny. It's uncanny how Matthew chapter 4 and Jesus' temptation in the wilderness shows that where Israel failed, he succeeded. This morning, put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is not that we would stop grumbling and do better, but it is the fact that precisely when God's people, the sons of God, tested God, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God refused to test God in Matthew chapter 4. Look at all of this, says the devil. Look at all of this. I will give all of this to you if you will bow down to me. And he comes back again to the Word and to the Word and to the Word, and he does not grumble. Listen, you and I get hungry and thirsty, and I don't know about you, but when I get hungry and thirsty, my family may not love me as much as they would after I've eaten Rice Krispie Treats. But Jesus fasted 40 days. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. He was tempted by the devil, and Jesus succeeds everywhere that Israel fails, and he does it for us. He does it for you and for me. He is, he is the rock of our salvation. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who says, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest rest today today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart do not harden your heart if you hear his voice and then the second thing of two before we close 
Would you give me all of your attention before we close? And I'm turning back to Hebrews. The second thing is this. Fight the good fight until the end. Or you could just say the word perseverance. Or you could say run the race to the end. Point number one, do not harden your heart. Point number two, and this is actually also from Psalm 95, even as we're back in Hebrews now. Point number two, perseverance. Run the race to the end. I guess maybe 120 years ago, maybe you've heard of him. There was a guy named Gentleman Jim Corbett, and he held the heavyweight boxing title for five years at the end of the 19th century. Here's what he said. He said, fight one more round. When your feet are so tired that you have to shuffle back to the center of the ring, fight one more round. When your arms are so tired that you can hardly lift your hands to come on guard, fight one more round. When your nose is bleeding and your eyes are black and you're so tired that you wish your opponent would crack you on the jaw and put you to sleep, fight one more round. Remembering that the man who fights one more round is never whipped. Now that's good. That's that's good. Fight more one more round. Fight more one more round. That's about perseverance. But we're not talking about mere perseverance. We're talking about enduring faith. Please be sure of this. And we're not just talking about enduring faith. We're talking about enduring faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 7. Therefore, Hebrews 3, 7, therefore as John says, nope, therefore as Psalm 95 says, nope. Hebrews 3, 7, therefore as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, Hebrews 3, 8, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He does not hear say Meribah and Massa. He says is in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What is that? That's the Greek translation of Psalm 95, 7 through 11. The only reason I mention it's the Greek translation is because that's why it's not identical to your Old Testament. He's using what was a common version of the Old Testament in his day, Paul or whoever it is that's writing Hebrews, okay? Psalm 95, 7 through 11, Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. Friends, Look at me. If the Bible says something twice, it must be important. It says this pretty much verbatim twice. Do you see it? What's his point? His point is to explain this text and to apply it. And so don't let me do that. Let me let him do that before we close.
Here's his text, Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. We know it's Psalm 95. So what? So what? Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So what? There's one answer, verse 12. So what? Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's another one. It will normally not be a prostitute at your door or a man who is not your husband wooing you in broad daylight. Listen to me. No, it will normally not be a man who is wooing you in broad daylight away from your own husband or a prostitute at your door who is saying, here I am, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. No, your downfall will be isolating yourself from the body of Christ or something like that. Isolating yourself from the body of Christ. Your Christian maturity does not consist in you thinking, thank you, Lord, that I have better theology than most Christians in Goldsboro. Your Christian maturity does not consist in having better theology than most Christians in Goldsboro. And maybe, although this can be just fine, reading lots of John MacArthur books privately at home or even with your spouse if at the same time you are not vitally invested in what Jesus Christ died for and loves as the apple of his eye, which is his people. I've told you already the number one thing, and please hear it again, the number one thing is this, is that where Israel failed, and by the way, Israel is to be an example for us, learn from the bad example of Israel and learn from the gospel that Jesus succeeded perfectly. Jesus succeeded perfectly everywhere that Israel failed. But also learn that the grace of God in the gospel not only removes the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. And he gives us means, he gives us means, he gives us means. I know we talked about this last week, but I'm telling you again, Hebrews 3.13. In light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 3.13, but here is your pill. Here is what you are to do, dear brothers and sisters, but exhort one another every day. And all that he's doing is expositing Psalm 95. That's all he's doing. So what? Psalm 95, so what? Exhort one another, verse 13, every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 4, verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ. In Christ. That's it. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, where is this quote from? Psalm 95, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. Please allow me to finish reading the chapter. 
all it is is six questions, three groups of two questions each. One question is posed, the next question answers the first, and so on. Chapter 3, verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray. We'll also take a moment of silence. Lord, thank you for your word, as we probably not often enough say, thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness that you tell us in your mercy, given us this day, this today. And so help us with this today. Please have mercy upon us. None of us have anything that we can claim in and of ourselves. Please help us by your grace today. Help us to learn from the bad example of Israel. And help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this table that you have spread for us as believers this morning. And we pray that you would help us. Amen.